0: Tonight, I want to share just some real simple things with you. This is so simple that you're going to have to listen close to keep from missing this, okay? I was in Kansas City not too long ago, and I met somebody that was on the television program, same program I was on, and as we met, they started asking me, what new thing is God revealing to you? What's the new thing that God's showing you? And I thought a few minutes, and I said, well... I can't think of anything new at the moment. And they looked at me and said, well, what are you teaching? I said, well, I was just teaching the Word. Amen. (laughs) They said, but what new thing? I mean, isn't God showing you something? They were into the glory, which there's nothing wrong with the glory, all right? But they were wanting to see clouds and visions, and they were off on all these new things. And you know, as I was listening to them, I just asked them, I said, but you know, the people that I minister to don't even know the basics yet. I mean, it's not the fact that they don't know about the glory that's the problem. It's the fact that what they do know they aren't operating in. And I said, I just am sticking with the simple things. And, you know, that's what I see producing is just the simplicity of the word. Not too long ago, I was in Kansas City, and I just got up and ministered on the integrity of God's word. We talked about that a lot this weekend. And did you know people were set free? A pastor came up to me, and he knew every word that I'd said. Wasn't a single new thing in it, and yet he said, man, I needed that. And you know, we let things slip is what the Bible says. And so we're gonna talk about just some basic things that ought to be elementary. Every Christian ought to know this and sad to say, we don't know it, or if we know it, we don't know it. Anybody follow that? There's a difference between knowing something and knowing something. There's a difference between having a working reality on the inside of you. So let's turn over to John chapter three. Let's look in verse 16. Pretty basic, isn't it? It says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What was the purpose of God sending His only begotten Son? It was so that we might have everlasting life. You know, that's what salvation is about, it's about eternal life, having eternal life. And yet, I don't believe that a lot of us are experiencing eternal life. Eternal life is more than getting your sins forgiven. You know, I heard a man just this last week say it this way, that God did not send his son primarily to deal with your sins. Now, that sounds like heresy at first. But he went on to explain it, that God sent his son to bring you into fellowship and relationship with him, and it just so happened that sin was the obstacle between you, and so God had to deal with it. But sin really was just a part of what God did. If all salvation is, is getting your sins forgiven, well then many of us would have and be experiencing eternal life, but that's not all that there is to it. Eternal life is more than having your sins forgiven and living forever in heaven. Eternal life is more than a length of days. If you call eternal life simply, well, I'm going to live forever. Well, did you know that Hitler is living forever? Do you know Satan's going to live forever? Eternal life is more than living forever. Not obviously ever going to die. You can't cease to exist. You'll separate from this body, but you don't ever cease to exist. So eternal life is more than simply coming and confessing your sins, receiving forgiveness, And being born again, and then people say, well, I've got eternal life. If I was to ask most of you in here and say, well, do you have eternal life? Yes, sir, brother. I got eternal life. And yet, as we get into this tonight, I believe that you're going to see that the vast majority of Christians aren't walking in eternal life. They are not enjoying eternal life. Eternal life is more than living forever. Right here in the book of John, let's flip over to the 17th chapter, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And Jesus said in chapter 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. See, this was again the mission of the Lord Jesus was to bring eternal life to those who would receive Jesus. He came to produce eternal life. And then in verse 3, he explains it. He says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is knowing God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And this isn't talking about knowing about God. In other words, many of us, when a person says, do you know God? Oh, yes, I know God. But it's more than knowing about him. You know, there's people that say, well, I know Andrew Womack. They may know me. They may listen to me. I walk into places, and people that have never seen me before will hear my Texas twang. I had a guy in Bonanza one time. I walked in and ordered a meal, and the manager came out from behind, and he said, where's Andrew Womack? He's out here someplace. Guy had never seen me before. <laughs> never admit me, but he says, I know you're out here, and he came looking for me. <laughs> See, he knew about me, but he still didn't know me. There's a difference in knowing about a person and knowing them even enough that you might recognize their voice or that you might casually meet them and recognize them. But knowing here is the same word that's used in the Old Covenant where it talks about that Adam knew his wife and that she conceived and bare a child. It's talking about relationship. It's talking about intimacy between two people. And it says that Jesus came to give relationship, intimacy, intimacy, knowing in that kind of way to us. You know, that's what eternal life is all about. That's what salvation is all about. Missing hell is just one of the bennies of salvation. Now, that's a tremendous benefit, but did you know that really that's not it? There's a lot of people that they think when they talk about their relationship with God, well, he redeemed me, I'm not gonna suffer in hell. Well, if all you did was get redeemed from hell, that's good. That would be worth salvation, but that's only a small percentage of what salvation is really about. There's a lot of us that you don't have fear of hell. The fear's been removed. You know that you're forgiven, and you no longer dread hell. You know that if you were to die, you would go and be with the Lord, and yet you are not experiencing eternal life right now. We don't have that God quality of relationship with God. And did you know that that's what salvation is about? As you study the Word of God and go through it, you'll find out that that's why Jesus came, was so that he might give everlasting life to us. He said God had given him the power so that he could give eternal life to as many as he had received. You find over in the first chapter of the book of 1 John, well, let's look over here and read this. John is stating his purpose for writing this book, 1 John chapter 1. He says, "...that which was from the beginning..." which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life, what kind of life? Talking about God's kind of life, that zoe, or eternal life. Eternal life is a quality of life, not a length of life. He says that life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Eternal life is not a length of days. Eternal life is a person, Jesus. And it's having fellowship with him. That's what salvation is all about. Man, the real motivation for getting born again ought to be that, God, I want to know you. And Jesus is the only way unto the Father. It's also true he's the only way out of hell. And if that's what got your attention, fine. Did you know in my case, I was eight years old, and I was in a Baptist church, and I heard this Baptist pastor preach a message on hell. And I'd been sitting in church all my life up to then. But you know, at eight years old, all of a sudden, it became a reality to me. And what he was saying became real to me, and I was just struck with fear. I didn't do anything in that service, but when I went home, I talked to my dad. And I started asking him, does this mean that I'm going to hell? I mean, it sunk in on me what he was saying, and in my bedroom, my dad explained that to me, and he said, yes, that's true, but he says, the good news is that Jesus loved you and he died for you, and as he began to tell me about that, and God made it a revelation to me, eight years old, I knelt in my bedroom, and the thing that changed my life, the thing that turned me around was when I saw how much God loved me, and I wanted to receive that love. I wanted relationship with God. The fear of hell got my attention but it was that relationship with God that drew me unto Him and that's what made me commit my life to the Lord. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. If all you did was get scared out of hell or get the hell scared out of you, however you want to put that, amen. I don't mean that bad. If that's all that you experienced, you haven't entered into eternal life. That's not what it's about. Eternal life is really knowing God. And this is all the reason that some people haven't entered into real relationship with God is because they stopped. They thought, well, my salvation's secure. I'm not going to hell. And so therefore, they just don't seek God. If that's your attitude, you've missed eternal life. You may have gotten salvation, but you missed eternal life. You missed what it's all about. He's saying here that eternal life was a person. It was Jesus. The life of God was in Jesus. And he gave us that life. He gave us access to fellowship with God Almighty. In verse 3, says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The reason John was writing this was so that they could have fellowship with them and because their fellowship was with the Father, that meant that they could have fellowship with the Father. He says, that's my purpose for writing this, is to bring you into relationship with God. That was his purpose. You know, if I was to ask you to write a book of the Bible tonight, If God told you that you were going to write five chapters and they were going to be in the Bible, and man, you need to put the most important thing to you in there. You know, we would get books written on healing, which that's important. I'm not minimizing healing. We would get books written on prosperity, the laws of prosperity. Man, we'd get books on deliverance, the deliverance ministry. We would get books on signs and wonders and how important they are. And we'd get all of these things that there's nothing wrong with them in their place. But did you know that if you could bring a person to relationship with God, I mean intimate relationship with God, that's what it's all about. Signs and wonders, miracles are just ways of God expressing that relationship, ways of God ministering to you and loving you. But did you know that there are people in the past who have not had revelation knowledge of healing, of deliverance, of prosperity. They have lived under adverse circumstances and because they were ignorant of the Word of God, they suffered sickness, they suffered disease, they suffered all of these things. And yet, because they had eternal life, because they had relationship with God, man, they rejoiced as they were burned at the stake. They rejoiced as they died and breathed their last breath, not because that was God's will, but still they had something that a lot of Spirit-filled people today don't have. They had something that a lot of word people that know about healing and deliverance and everything else don't have and that was a relationship with God. Quality relationship where they knew God. The good news is you don't have to pick one or the other, amen? You don't have to either have relationship with God or walk in the power and the victory of the Holy Ghost. We can have both. Matter of fact, victory ought to spring out of relationship. One reason that faith is so hard for a lot of people is because their relationship with God stinks. Amen. Now, y'all don't look at me in that tone of voice. I know that I'm speaking to people that this applies to. Have you ever seen a little kid... A year or two old, you know, that father was holding that child and that child was going around saying, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart my dad will not drop me. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart my dad will not drop me. I confess with my mouth that I'm going to get fed tomorrow, praise God. I confess with my mouth he's going to put some food on my table. I confess with my mouth he's going to clothe me. I know it's going to work. In the name of Jesus, Satan, I bind you. I rebuke you. I cast down these fallen spirits in the name of Jesus. You don't see kids doing things like that. Why? Because they have relationship with their dad, and so therefore they don't have fear. They don't have to bind up all this stuff. You know why that the devil can speak to you and say cancer, and you have to start saying, Oh, fear, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. It's because you don't have relationship with God. If you knew your father, you'd say cancer. My father wouldn't just leave me to cancer. You wouldn't have any fear. You'd get up. Did you know some of the times when you operate in the strongest faith is when you're your calmest? I think it was John telling me this week about the weather, you know, they had believed for good weather up here at the retreat and it started to snow or rain or something, snow. And John started to get uptight and then he remembered his message, you know, on the worst form of pride is not casting your care over on the Lord. And he just thought about it and he said, I just cast that care over on the Lord, forgot it." You know, most people would say, well, that wasn't faith, brother. You should have got in there and spoken tongues and wrestled with the devil and travailed in prayer until you saw that weather break. <laughs> but he just knew his father and so he threw it over on his father and within 30 minutes it was clear. And you know, we had beautiful weather. Boy, it was nice up there. It was a miracle. Did you know it takes more faith? Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times that you need to fight, but our fight's not with God. You don't have to wrestle with God and if your life is a constant battle of forcing yourself to believe and forcing and driving out unbelief and standing against all of this stuff you got a stinking relationship with God. That's what the problem is. If you really knew your Father, there wouldn't be any problem. If we had a relationship with God, you wouldn't be so uptight, you wouldn't be so susceptible to fear. You wouldn't worry about what the economy's doing because God's going to supply your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Faith is based on relationship. A lot of people don't know that. You know the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. But what does God's Word do? God's Word reveals God to us. It reveals the nature and the character of God. It's not just a manual that you take and memorize. It's not just a textbook, although you could call it that. But the real purpose of the Word of God is to reveal the living Word to us. This is a perfect representation of a person. This isn't just an ideology. This isn't just a book of principles. This is a person. This is revealing the very nature and the character of God. And it's so that we can know Him. Know Him in an intimate way so that we can enter into relationship with God. And if you get relationship with God, I guarantee you, you'll find that faith works freely. Just like a little kid puts faith in their parents because they know them. Because there's a relationship built. You know the reason it's so hard for us to believe God's really going to come through and heal us? Because we don't know God. If we knew God, you'd never doubt the goodness of God. The reason Satan is able to discredit us so easy and discredit God and get us into unbelief is because our relationship with God is not what it's supposed to be. We haven't majored on that. So many of us have got caught up in all of the doing, all of the things that there are to do. And so many of us are caught up in coming to church. So many of us are caught up in working in church that we don't have time for God. Have you all ever had a plan of Bible study? to where you were going to read the Bible through in a year or something like that, and you had so many set chapters you had to read or something, and you got so busy reading that you didn't have time for God. You're reading something, and you think, Boy, that sounds interesting, but i got to continue reading, amen. So you don't meditate on it. You don't let God speak to you through it. you got to finish your five chapters because that's your goal. So God, don't talk to me. I'm reading your word. <laughs> I know that happens. Brothers and sisters, that's not what it's about. I'm not saying we shouldn't study the Word, we shouldn't work in church and do all of these things, but I'm saying that those things ought to be an outgrowth. They're a byproduct of a relationship with God. They're byproducts. You know, we ministered some on marriage this weekend. Did you know the purpose of marriage is relationship with your mate? The reason for getting married isn't because you want a housekeeper. Or because you want somebody to do your laundry or a cook? That's not the purpose. And that's the reason that a lot of marriages are on the rocks is because they have never built the relationship. You know, a lot of us use God like we would a servant, a grocery boy. Our prayer is nothing but a grocery cart that you go up and down the aisles. God, give me this. God, give me that. You just load up. As soon as you get full, you take off until you're empty and then you come back through for another load. That's what we use prayer for. Did you know that Adam and Eve had prayer before there was anything to pray for? Did you know Adam and Eve had communion with God, which is what prayer was, and they had a set time every day where they met with God. And did you know they didn't have any devils to cast out? They didn't have any strongholds to pull down. They didn't have anything to intercede over. They didn't have any great works to do. They didn't have anything to do but to fellowship with God. And they had a set time every day that they fellowshiped with God. Most of us are not motivated to seek God because of who God is. And because of relationship, we seek God out of need. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeking God out of need. If you're in need, you're smart to seek God. But if that's the only motivation, if that's the only time you're seeking God, that's the reason you're in need so much is because you aren't spending time in the presence of God. The true motivation for seeking God ought to be so that you could know Him, because you love Him and because you desire to spend time with Him, not because you need something from Him. Now, that's part of it. He said, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. There's nothing wrong with getting your needs met, but that should not be the motivation behind it. Again, Adam and Eve didn't have that as a motivation. They didn't need anything in that sense, except that they were created in God's image. They were created for his pleasure. They were created to fellowship with God, and there was a vacuum in them. They knew it. They knew that, and they knew that they were created for fellowship with God. You know, that's what you're created for. You may be trying to fill it with watching the boob tube. You may be trying to fill it with making a living. You may be trying to fill it with sports and with doing all of these other things, but you know what the craving is on the inside of you. You know what you really want. You may not know what you want, but you want to know God. You want the presence of God. God created you that way, and when you lost it, there's a vacuum inside of you, a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. That's what you're crying out for is to be in the presence of God, to know God. And we've been deceived. We've been diverted. We've channeled our efforts into serving. God, I'm going to do this for you. That's not knowing God. You know, my wife's a good housekeeper. I praise God for my wife. She's a blessing. She keeps a tight ship around there. And I praise God for that. Did you know that there's a lot of women that don't keep a good house? I've been in people's house where you had to climb over things to get in the front door. You couldn't step on the carpet because it was covered with clothes or something else and on and on. And did you know that, man, women, if that's you, I'm not trying to condemn you, but I'm saying you aren't ministering to your family. You need to minister to your family. You know, that reflects you. So anyway, my wife keeps a good house. I praise God for that. But did you know if she got more concerned about doing things for me than she was about me did you know it'd grieve me if it got to the point that when I walked in the front door the first thing she said was take your shoes off don't you dare walk on this door and get my carpet dirty I just washed it today I mean uh, what do you do with carpet it. I just swept the carpet today you can tell that I do a lot of it amen I told on myself praise God If she was that way and if she was so picky about things and if she forgot that the reason for doing those things was simply to be a blessing to me and to minister to her family. If she got to where she was doing it and the end result, the ultimate, the goal was the deed itself instead of what it was supposed to represent, did you know that it grieved me? That she cared more about that dumb carpet than she does about me. That she cared more about me messing up something than she does about me. That would me, that ruined relationship. Brothers and sisters, a lot of us have gotten so caught up in the semantics of serving God. We've gotten so caught up in the religion of serving God. We've gotten so caught up in all of the things that we have to do that we have forgot God. There's a lot of you, and I'm not saying this because I know you, I'm saying this because I believe I'm led of the Lord to say it and because I know me and I know other people that I've dealt with. There's a lot of you that wouldn't miss a church service There's a lot of you that are here, you do X number of things, you're involved in the programs of the church, and yet you had not had eternal life, relationship with God in a long, long time. Your benefit that you get from the gospel is in helping others, and that's great, but did you know if that's your motivation, that's wrong? You know, I get a blessing out of hearing people share about how that the word that I'm sharing changes their life or somebody gets healed. I had a man come share with me a year ago when we were here how his back was healed. He'd had it for 30-something years. Of course, he'd had his back all of his life, amen, but he'd had his back problems (laughs) for 30-something years, and God healed him. And that blesses me, okay? I get joy from that, but did you know that is not the thing that compels me? Before I began to start really building relationship with God, I'd look at Paul when he was thrown into prison, and I'd think, God, I couldn't stand it. God, I couldn't stand not to be in a position where I wasn't ministering to people. I'd die. And I got to saying, how could Paul stand it? Because Paul counted everything but done so that he might know him. Paul was not motivated by results. A person that's motivated by results, by what they see, by ministry to others, even though that's good, I guarantee you, you're going to be up and down because you'll see those kind of things fluctuate. You'll see other things come in and affect that. But a person that has his relationship with God as the priority in his life, that person can be consistent if he's exiled to the island of Patmos, if he's thrown in jail, if it's midnight in jail and he can't think about, oh, God, look at all the people outside dying that could be getting one to the Lord. Instead of getting depressed and bawling and falling and crying, you'll be singing psalms at midnight, amen. You'll be worshiping and praising God because relationship with God will be exactly the same. If your relationship with God was reduced to where you didn't have anything to do for God, if you were isolated and you didn't have another Christian to fellowship with, if you didn't have any devils to cast out, if you didn't have anybody to pray for, if you didn't have the loss to minister to, How would you and God get along? What would your relationship with God be like? I believe that a lot of people in here would be ill at ease with God. Just like John was sharing, you know, a couple that's married and their whole life gets caught up in just their roles. The woman cooking, taking care of the kids, doing some things, man going to work and doing all of these things, but they never build that relationship. Then the kids, the bond that's held them together is gone. All of a sudden, they're thrust together. You know, they don't like each other. They don't have relationship, and they wind up with that marriage crashing because relationship was never built. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are experiencing defeat and depression today because their relationship with God stinks. Their whole life is spent on doing something for God. We've had this mentality that my justification my basis of relationship with God is how much I do we're so performance oriented man our society I believe is probably more performance oriented than any society that's ever lived on the face of the earth you've got to perform you've got to do something to justify your existence the ERA has come along and told women today what are you doing with your talents you're just sitting at home you're wasting your life away you aren't using what God's given you perform do something make something of yourself They are telling you that your worth is measured in what you do. And that's not so. That is not so. Man, I saw something the other day where they were interviewing a bunch of women who had become business executives, multimillionaires, climbed to the top of the corporate ladder, and they had all gotten out because they found out that the success, all of the goals that had been set, they had attained them and they still were miserable. And you know what they were doing? They were going back to being housewives. Because they found out that success and performance are not the same. we become so performance oriented. We've gotten to where God is pleased with us based on our performance and that's not so. Again, go back to Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve had to perform with? They didn't have anybody to cast devils out of. They didn't have anybody to lead to the Lord. They didn't have to believe in any clothes, a house, cars. What did they use their faith for? What was the justification for their existence? Why was it that God created Adam and Eve? Was there no purpose for their existence before the fall and before there was somebody to be ministered to? Let's look over here in Revelation chapter four. And this shows us what's going on in heaven right now. And in heaven there's just constant praise and worship. Constant ministering unto the Lord. Revelation chapter 4 verse 8, it says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, These four beasts are constantly, day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. And every time they say, Holy, 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 which is constantly, the twenty-four elders cast their crowns down before God and fall on their face and worship him. So that means constantly these 24 elders are falling on their face and worshiping God, getting up, putting their crowns on, falling on their face, worshiping God, getting up and putting their crowns on. It's just a constant praise and worship. That's what's going on in heaven. Man, they're worshiping and praising God. And here's what they're saying. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, mankind is part of that creation, and it says the reason that we are and were now, the way that's stated means that the original purpose and still the purpose of our creation is for God's pleasure. God did not create us to be servants. Since the fall, there is a need for servants. And God will use us as servants. But that is not the ultimate purpose. That is not the reason that you were created. That is a byproduct. There is a place for that. But your service will not be the way that God intends it to be until you establish priorities and enter into first things first. The number one purpose for God creating man was for his pleasure. God loved us. God needed an object of his love. Did you know God created you to be an object of his love? God created you so that he could just funnel his love, lavish his love upon you. And also, God created you so that you could bless him, so that you could minister unto him. You know, God needed somebody to show love to, and he also needed somebody to receive love from. We sometimes don't think that God has any needs, but God is love. First John chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 16, God is love. And did you know anybody that is love, that has love and shows love, also has a need for that love to be returned? Did you know God has needs? God has a need for people to love him. That's the reason the Bible says, bless the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Extol the Lord. Bless him according to his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Thousands of references about blessing the Lord. Did you know it's not just for our benefit? Sure, praise helps us. Sure, praise is a benefit to us. Sure, as we praise God, Satan hates it and flees from it. But did you know the real reason for praising God is because it ministers to God. The Bible says that he, uh, he inhabits the praises of his people out of Psalms chapter 22. Out of Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17, he says that the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He'll rejoice over thee. He will rest in his life. He will joy over thee with singing. Did you know I've seen visions of this? I've heard other visions. There was a man in our camp this week that saw the same thing, that when we praise God, that God is dancing, that angels are dancing, that they're praising God. Did you know when the Bible says, bless God, many of us don't know what that means. Like Sandy Brown. I know some of you are familiar with Sandy Brown, and the testimony she came out of, she didn't know come here from Sikkim about the Lord. And man, when she got born again, she was seeking God, and she was trying to find out About the Lord. And anyway, it was a long process, but she was told about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And she says, What do you have to do to get in? So they said, Well, just begin to bless and praise the Lord. And so she went home. She got in the bath. She was Catholic before. She had candles all around her in this bath. See, it was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So she thought getting in the bath was the place to go. So she was sitting there and she started saying, Praise and worship. Bless the Lord. She didn't know what it meant. She was just repeating the words. She was saying praise and worship. She didn't know praise and worship was more than those words. She didn't know it was an attitude, an action, an expression of love. She was just saying praise and worship, praise and worship, praise and worship. God baptized in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Amen. You know, there's a lot of us when we read in the Bible and it says, bless the Lord. We say, bless the Lord. We don't know what it means. Did you know you can bless the Lord? God gets blessed by you. You know, Peter, my youngest son right here, the Lord gave us some horses, and I took Joshua and Peter out horseback riding one day, and we had a good day, and we just did a lot of things. And anyway, as I was putting them to bed, I was kissing them night. said, I love you, Peter. And he looked up, and he says, Dad, you're a good dad. And boy, I can't tell you what that did for me. Made me want to get him up out of bed and take him horseback riding again, amen? <laughs> That blessed me. He didn't say, bless you, Dad. He said, Dad, you're a good dad. And that blessed me. When the Bible says, bless the Lord, did you know that you can bless God when you say, Father, you're a good God? Do you know God, his heart does flip-flops. We were created for his pleasure. We're his object of love. We're his peculiar treasure. He loves us a thousand times more than I love my children. God wants our love and worship and praise. Did you know that that's what you were created for? That's what Jesus came for is so that that relationship of love, so that that eternal life could once again be established. Sin was just an obstacle in the way. God didn't come just to redeem you from hell, although that's very important. But the main thing was he wanted you. He wanted fellowship with you. God wanted to walk and talk with you again in the cool of the evening. He wanted to have a special time every day where he could fellowship with you and come to know you and share with you things that are on his heart and have you share with him, and just have a relationship. God created us. We were and still are created for his pleasure. God didn't create you to be some servant, although there is service. If God wanted service, he could have used angels. God could have created the rocks to do it. God could have done it a thousand and one different ways. The reason that we were created was because he wanted us. He wanted an intelligent being that had a free will that could turn around and without having a button push saying, you know, like a computer or a robot, I love you, that you could love him out of your own heart, that it could be free will. He'll never tell you, say, I love you. And what would that be like if I came up to my kids and say, you love me, tell me you love me. That's not the way you do it. God wanted us to do it out of our own free will. You know, that's what you were created for. That's what eternal life is, is knowing him in an intimate, personal way. And brothers and sisters, there's many, many people in this room tonight that are born again and you aren't experiencing eternal life. You haven't entered into a relationship where God fellowships with you and you fellowship with him. You may go days. I know there's people in here that have been weeks. There's people in here that have been months. There's people in here that maybe once or twice a year you have a relationship with God. You have an experience where you know that God's pleased with you and that you're pleased with Him and that you're fellowshipping back and forth. You're missing eternal life. You're missing what salvation is all about. You have missed the whole thing and we wonder why people aren't breaking the roof up and letting people down. Now, I know that you're experiencing great things and God's growing, but I tell you, this town hasn't seen anything yet. It hasn't seen it like it should. A hundred and twenty people turned the world upside down. God's no respecter of persons. I believe that we've got a greater manifestation of the Holy Ghost in process. It's not complete, but it's in process today than it's ever been, even in the New Testament church. We ought to be seeing 5,000 people a day saved. We ought to be seeing somebody at the gate of the temple raised up and miraculous things happening. How come there's not more? How come there aren't more people hungry? There's people out here hungry. These lost people are hungry. They're looking for something. They don't know what they're looking for, but they're looking. Why aren't they looking here? Why aren't people beating the doors down? Man, we got the goods. We're here tonight. We got the power of God. We can see the blind eyes open. We can see the deaf healed. We can see the dead raised. We can see people set free. We can see people blessed financially. We got the goods tonight. Why aren't more people knocking the door down? Because we're preaching doctrine to them instead of showing them that eternal life. Instead of going out and letting the life of God ooze out of us, we're sharing doctrine with them. People are fed up to their ears with doctrine. If they want a doctrine, they can listen to the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons. They're out knocking on doors. they got doctrine. People are looking for something that's real. They're looking for an experience. They're looking for some type of a relationship. People are crying out for love. And brothers and sisters, that's what we've got to share with them. But did you know it's degenerated to where much of the time we're just sharing doctrine because that's all we got. We don't have eternal life. We aren't walking in the presence of God. We aren't in fellowship and union with God. All we've got is a memory. All we've got is a commitment that we've made. All we've got is the knowledge of what God's Word says, but we don't have it living and active and functional on the inside of us. If you'll catch on fire, man, if you'll let the fire of God consume you, the world will come and watch you burn. They'll get excited. They want what we've got. But we need to operate in what we've got. We need to go to experience in that life of God. you know, that's what it's all about. I'm sure grieves God that his people are so busy building build. Praying and fighting the devil, which there's nothing wrong with either one of those things. There's a place for it. But there's some of you that mean you'd fight the devil at the drop of a hat and drop your hat to get to fight the devil. But as far as entering into relationship with God, it's just not there. We let everything in the world come and crowd that out. Well, I'm busy. I've got things to do. I'm over here doing all of these important things. You know, go back again to your relationship with your wife or with your husband. You could spend all of your time occupied doing something, but you've got to put a priority on that relationship. If you don't, you'll wind up losing it. You've got to put a priority on your relationship with God. You've got to realize that that's what makes everything else work. That's what gives you fulfillment. That's what God created you for. He didn't create you for service. He created you for fellowship. Service is the byproduct. My wife serves me and ministers to me and blesses me because she loves me. I serve her and minister to her and bless her because I love her. I don't do it because it's a duty or something that I have to do. I do it because I love her and it's a byproduct. You know, that's what keeps the ministry from getting boring to you. I couldn't tell you the number of pastors that I know, the number of ministers that are just burnt out, that are tired, that are dissatisfied, that are no longer blessed. You know why? They're active. They're seeing God use them. They may have a call and anointing on their life, but ministers can so easily get caught up spending all their time ministering unto you and giving unto you that they don't have any relationship with God themselves, and you'll dry up. You won't last if that's the attitude, if that's the way that you're going. You've got to maintain that relationship with God. You've got to enter into relationship with Him. And that's what God wants more than anything else. You've got to establish priorities. There's always going to be pressures. There's always things that you can occupy yourself with. You've got to establish priorities. What's important? The most important thing in your life is knowing God. That's the most important thing. Your ministry is immaterial. The way God's using you is immaterial. It's a knowing God. That's what God wants. That's what's going to fulfill you. That's what eternal life is. And that's what God's calling people to today. And it's so easy to get caught up in everything that God is doing and get excited about that and yet not get excited about God himself. We need to come into relationship with him. And you can do that. Somebody is sitting there thinking, brother, it sounds great, but how do you do it? How do you do it? I go and sit down and I don't have anything to say. I don't know what to do. I can't see him. I can't talk to him. I can't hear him. We're so much in the carnal realm, we can't get into that spirit realm or we can perceive what God is saying about us. Well, one of the first ways is John 6:63. 6, it says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You want to push into the spirit realm? You want to find out what God is saying? Look in God's Word and start making it personal. Start taking it personally. Read scriptures about how God loves you. Read that scripture in Revelation 4:11 where it talks about that for his pleasure we are and were created and take that as God's voice to you and say, Father, thank you. That's your voice to me. I was and still am created for your pleasure. And then take Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 that he's made us accepted in the beloved and say, Father, thank you that I'm accepted in you. According to Hebrews eleven 6, I'm pleasing unto you because I have put faith in Jesus. You're pleased with me. Begin to start speaking those things. As you're speaking what God's Word says, you're speaking spirit and truth. You're speaking what God says, and you begin to enter into that presence. You just begin to throw yourself on him. You know, if we'd just come honest with God and begin to tell him, say, God, I don't know you. God, I want to know you. You know, the Lord would reveal himself to you. Humming yourself under the mighty hand of God has a tremendous effect on you. If you would just say, Father, I'm sorry I'm so caught up in all of these other things. Help me to know you. And let me also share a word of wisdom with you. We try and make our relationship with God too intense. Now, I know some people will think, heresy, heresy, brother. But have you ever seen people that they, usually it's an insecure person. It's a person that does not have relationships with other people. It's a person that doesn't get along real well with people, but they want it with all of their heart. And they are having all this struggle on the inside. They want it so bad that when they come across you, they come across so strong that they offend you. You think, what's wrong with them? And you back off from those people. And usually those are the people that are crying out for the relationships the most. Did you know it takes time to build relationships? Well, I love John. I had a good fellowship with John. You know, I had more fellowship with John yesterday morning than I've had with him probably since I've known him. We haven't spent a lot of time together, yet i got a respect for him and stuff, but it takes time to build relationships. I've known him for years, and we're still building relationships. We don't see each other that often. If I was to sit down and try and pump him and just, I want to know everything about John in the first 30 minutes. Man, I want you to pick your brain. I want you to confide in me your deepest, darkest secrets. I want to be best buddies with you within 30 minutes. That guy would take off and go the other direction. (laughs) That's offensive to people. It takes time to build relationships. Husband and wife relationships, you don't see a person and even if God told you that's your wife, you don't go up and within 30 minutes you want to be totally intimate with them and have them proposed and man have them understand it and you're just totally in agreement. It takes time to build that relationship. But with God we come in, man we set aside, I'm going to pray for an hour. We look at the clock, set the clock on the wall, set the alarm or something, and then we get to praying. Man, beating walls, yelling and screaming, oh, God, man, we got to see five visions and three dreams, and we got to have goosebumps go up and down our spine, and we got to cast down five strongholds and see three people delivered within that hour's time. And if we didn't, bless God, I don't know what's wrong. How come nothing's happening in our relationship? It takes time to build a relationship. You know, sometimes you just have to go in and say, Father. You know, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sit here and get still before the Lord. You know, one of the things that blessed me about Jamie was when I went out with other girls. Well, let me rephrase that. (laughs) What I'm saying is I only dated one other girl in my life. So when I went out with this other girl, I always felt like I had to be on my best behavior. You had to borrow your mom's car because mine was a dog. You had to dress right. You had to talk right. And if there was a lull in the conversation, you know, you got jittery about what's going to happen, you know, what are we going to say next and all this. Jamie and I came together. We were engaged to be married before we ever held hands. And God just put us together in a supernatural way. And Jamie and I just sit together. We'd sit together for hours. We might say something, but lots of times we wouldn't talk. We just enjoyed being with each other. We didn't have to do anything. She didn't have to entertain me, and I didn't have to entertain her. We could just enjoy each other without having to perform. I just accepted her the way she was. She didn't have to do anything special. She accepted me the way I was. Did you know that there is a strength in a relationship like that? I don't know how to verbalize all of that, except I guarantee you I wouldn't trade that for a lot of other relationships that may look more intense but yet they just don't enjoy each other. I wouldn't trade it. And did you know that there's a lot of us that go in and we try and make our time with God? It's got to be powerful, man. It's got to be life-changing every time we step in the presence of God. You know, sometimes we just need to fellowship with God. We just need to go in there and say hi. Amen? Just visit with Him. Sit down and talk to Him. God's a person. God's a real person. And God wants relationship. You know, there's times, I'd say probably a lot of the time, I run out in the mountains and stuff. Sometimes I'll just sit up on the mountains and I'll sit there and look at Pikes Peak and just praise the Lord. I remember Saturday morning for over an hour, I was sitting in bed, I read the Word and studied, did some things, and then for over an hour, I just laid back and praised God. And I didn't say a word, it was just in my heart. I was enjoying God, just in God's presence. God was enjoying me, I was pleased with Him, He was pleased with me. Did you know that builds relationship? Did you know that, man, that makes something between you? Did you know that that sets fears out of the way and it just, it's healing? Just knowing God, just being in God's presence. Did you know that that's eternal life? Now, again, I'm not minimizing casting out devils and praying and interceding and doing all of these kind of things, but I'm saying those ought to be byproducts. You just deal with that because it's necessary. The old devil stuck his head up, cut it off, deal with it, go on so you can get back into relationship and fellowship with God. That shouldn't be your motivation. That shouldn't be what your life is consumed with. Your life should not be consumed with going in and doing all of these things. Again, if that was so, if that was the justification, well, then that meant that Adam and Eve had no purpose for existing because they didn't have that to do. God created them for a purpose that's even above that. You've been created for something even greater than service, and that's just knowing God. God just wants to know you. God wants to just be pleased with you. And he is pleased with you, but he wants to show it to you. He wants to fellowship with you. You know, my wife and I are separated sometimes because I'm traveling. And we know that we love each other, but there's something about when we get together and are able to show that we love each other and experience and fellowship with each other. That's better than just knowing and never getting to share it. There's something about sharing it. We know that God loves us and God knows that we love him. But how often do we enter in and really interact? How often do we really share that? If you aren't meeting with God on a daily basis, you're missing God. You know, I hate to say that because I don't want that to become a rule. I don't want it to become a bondage, a format that you go through. But you ought to have a daily appointment with God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the cool of every evening. They met with God and fellowshiped with God. I believe God's one that instituted that. I believe that that's a good standard. There ought to be a daily time to meet with God. There ought to be some time to fellowship with God on a daily basis, and it needs to be important to you. Most of us, if we were in the process of fellowshipping with God, praying, and if somebody came over, if the phone rang, if this happens, if that happened, we'll drop God and go do anything else. The Lord is not priority. The Lord's always there. He'll be there tomorrow, and so if something comes up, I can just do it and substitute it, and He'll be there tomorrow. I guarantee you, that's not going to help you at all. You need to give a priority to it. A pastor, a friend of mine in Collinville, Illinois, his wife, the Lord was showing her the same thing, and every time she'd set aside a time and begin to pray in fellowship with God, it seems like the phone would call, and somebody would need something. And, you know, so she just finally decided that she'd pick up the phone. If somebody needed something, she'd say, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you later, but right now I'm busy. I've got an appointment, and I'll see you when this one's over, amen. She treated God like he was a person. And she began to start fellowshipping with God. Did you know it's helped her? It set her free. If you were up late tonight, if you go out and fellowship with people after this, did you know when tomorrow comes around, even though you're tired, even though you don't want to get out of that bed, you'll do what you have to do to drag yourself out of there and make yourself go to work because that's not an option. It's a necessity. It's important. If you don't do it, the consequences are bad enough that it'll motivate you to go even if you're dog-tired to work. But you know what? If you're up late, fellowship and after church, and it comes time for you to get up and spend time with the Lord before you go to work, that's optional and we can let that slide and we wonder why things aren't working any better we aren't even esteeming our relationship with God as important as our keeping our job we aren't giving God the priority and brothers and sisters I believe God's crying out for that I believe God has a need I believe God needs to be ministered unto Acts chapter 13 says that all of these men ministered unto the Lord They ministered unto the Lord by praise and by worship and just loving Him and fellowshipping with Him and being in His presence. God loves you. God wants you. You may not see yourself that way. You may have gotten this attitude from the world that all you are is a number. All you are is just somebody to help buy their product and make their way. They don't care about you. They just need your money. They need what you can give. But they don't care about you. We've developed that mentality. And did you know a lot of people feel that way about God? They feel, well, I'm needed to help build this building. I'm needed to help pack out this pew. I'm needed to help make things look right. I'm needed for this and that and on and on. But a lot of people don't see the worth. They don't understand the value that God places on them individually. A lot of us don't know that God is seeking us now. Boy, the book of Song of Solomon shows God pursuing us as a lover. I guarantee you, God's pursuing you. God loves you. God's courting you. God's after you. He wants your affection. God wants your love, and He wants to show you His love. And we're occupied with the TV. And we're occupied with this. And we're occupied with that. And we give God a little bit of time every once in a while. That's not going to get it. Well, I guarantee you, everything else flows out of relationship. Faith comes out of relationship. Peace comes from knowing that God loves you. Amen? Peace comes from having that relationship with God. Finances. Tremendous amount of teaching on finances, and I'm not against it, but you know what? If you had relationship with God, you could put all the teaching on finances in a thimble and carry it around. That's all you'd need. If you sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, things would be added unto you. The Bible shows them coming upon us and overtaking us. Very few people are experiencing that because very few people are seeking first the kingdom of God. Man, you seek God with your whole heart and God will prosper you. He'll get it to you. The things in the Christian life just work so easy if first of all we have that zoe kind of life flowing through us. If we have that supernatural, eternal life of God, if we're in fellowship with it, everything else falls into place. But if you bypass that step, you can take all the faith teaching. It doesn't matter how good it is. It's whether it's alive on the inside of you. What's your relationship with God like? And you don't build relationships overnight. This is a long-term solution. This is talking about just getting with God, coming to know God, If you've been caught up in serving God more than you have in God, then you need to repent of that. And I'm not telling you you need to quit doing things. But I am saying you need to get things in priority. There's a lot of you that would be better off if you just dropped a lot of your good works and went back to knowing God. I know that that may not sound right. I know that, you know, preachers aren't used to saying things like that. But you'd be better off to draw back and to get to know God. And then your service, as you begin to add it back, would be anointed of God. It'd have the life of God flowing through it and people's lives would be changed. That's what God's after. God's after you. You know, God loves the world. God wants to see and changed. I believe that. But more importantly, God wants his people right here. He wants to know you. If he knows you and if you experience that life, I promise you leading people to the Lord is simple. It really is. If they could see the life of God in people. Amen. There's a little song we used to sing about, What you are speaks so loud that the world can't hear what you say. They're not listening to you talk, but they're looking at your walk. They're judging by your actions every day. Don't believe that you'll deceive by pretending what you've never known. They'll judge by what they see and know you to be. They'll judge by your acts alone. There's a lot of us that are pretending. We've got this doctrine. We've got this show. But we aren't experiencing it ourselves. And we need to go back and make sure that it's real on the inside of us. We need to make sure that Jesus is our closest friend. That you'd rather be locked up with Jesus than you had anybody. That if you got exiled to the island of Patmos, man, you'd be thrilled. No distractions. Man, you could fellowship with God. Isn't that good?